Welcome to Kelly Dry's Full Spectrum Podcast, bringing together thought leaders in the technology, media, and telecommunications industries to discuss legal issues that are expected to impact today's organizations and tomorrow's marketplace. Kelly Dry Full Spectrum is produced twice monthly, and show notes are available at www.kellydryfullspectrum.com. For more in-depth commentary, head to our blog, comlawmonitor.com. All links are in the show notes. This podcast is produced by the Kelly Dry Communications Practice Group. Hello, and welcome to Kelly Dry's Full Spectrum Podcast. I'm Jenny Wainwright, an associate in the Communications Practice Group at Kelly Dry and Warren. And I'm Steve Augustino, a partner in the Communications Practice Group. Today's podcast is the second installment in our series looking at noteworthy developments related to the TCPA. Today, we will discuss the following TCPA topics. First, we will provide a review of where we are on the 2015 declaratory ruling and order. Second, we'll provide an update on the exemption from the TCPA for federal debt collectors, which was created under the 2015 Budget Act. And then third, we'll take a look at Chairman Pai and his likely approach to the TCPA and robocalls. Fourth, we will discuss the pending appeal of disclosure rules on solicited faxes. And finally, we'll take a look at two recent TCPA petitions that tee up new issues for the Pi Commission to consider. Jenny, can you start us off? Sure, Steve. In the July 2015 Omnibus Declaratory Ruling and Order, the Commission responded to 21 petitions from a number of companies and trade associations seeking relief from or clarification of various TCPA requirements. The order adopted an expansive definition of what constitutes an autodialer to include not only a device's current capabilities, but also its potential future capabilities. But the Commission declined to set a comprehensive list of equipment types that fall within the definition of the term. Under this definition, a software-based dialer with no coding or features that would allow it to function as an autodialer may still be an autodialer merely because the dialer developer could potentially recode the software such that the device could function as an autodialer. The Commission declined a request asking the FCC to clarify that a predictive dialer is an autodialer only when it randomly or sequentially generates telephone numbers and not when it dials numbers from customer telephone lists. The commission stated that as long as the device has the, quote, capacity to be an autodialer, it must be regarded as an autodialer. The second major issue the commission addressed was the definition of a called party. Rather than adopting a request that called party be interpreted as the intended recipient of the call, the FCC determined the term to mean the, quote, current subscriber, or in other words, the consumer assigned to the telephone number dialed and billed for the call. As a result, the FCC opened the door for potential TCPA liability for calls placed to reassign numbers. The FCC recognized, however, that it can be challenging for companies to know if a number has been reassigned. To address this, the ruling provides that so long as a caller does not have actual knowledge that the number has been reassigned, it may make one call to a reassigned number without liability. The third issue the commission addressed was how called parties can revoke consent. Under the order, a called party may revoke consent at any time and through any reasonable means, and callers may not limit the manner in which revocation may occur. Neither the statutory text nor the legislative history of the TCPA explains revocation of consent. Thus, the FCC concluded that the most reasonable interpretation of the TCPA's consent requirement is to allow consumers to revoke consent if they decide that they no longer wish to receive voice calls or texts. The appeals of this order were heard in the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals in October of last year. The argument was quite lively, 
Although it was scheduled for 20 minutes per side, the court heard arguments for close to three hours. In that argument, there are a lot of tea leaves to read, but I think it's safe to say that most observers left the room expecting the court to reverse the FCC, at least in part. In particular, the court spent well over an hour debating the contours of the auto dialer definition that you talked about, Jenny. The judges each seemed to come at the definition in different ways, but to me, the common point was a discomfort with the broad potential of the FCC standard. The FCC's lawyer tried to argue that the specific contours would be determined through future adjudications, but this argument did not seem to be very satisfying to the court. I also felt that the court was inclined to remand the issue of reassigned numbers. The court seemed to accept the FCC's premise that actual or constructive knowledge of reassignment would render consent invalid. However, the judges raised a number of concerns that in particular instances, one call or one text would not provide reasonable notice of reassignment. A remand to provide a more robust explanation of what constitutes constructive knowledge seems likely to me. We've all been eagerly awaiting the D.C. Circuit's decision since October, and it could come at any day now. Indeed, the court usually takes between three and six months to decide appeals, but as we stand here now at the end of March as we're recording this, we're right in that window, and recent decisions released by the D.C. Circuit have been on cases that were argued around or shortly after the ACA international case. So it looks like we could get a decision hopefully very soon, and when it does, we'll have a lot more to talk about in this podcast. So at this point, Jenny, I think it's time that we switch gears a little bit and we'll talk about some of the recent activity related to TCPA exemptions for calls made on behalf of the federal government. Absolutely. So first, in July of 2016, the FCC issued a declaratory ruling in which it determined that the TCPA, quote, does not apply to calls made by or on behalf of the federal government in the conduct of official business. The commission based the decision on its finding that the federal government is not a person and therefore outside the TCPA scope. The following month, the FCC adopted new rules to protect consumers from exemptions allowed for federal debt collectors under the Bipartisan Budget Act of 2015. The commission's rules, adopted under the leadership of Chairman Wheeler, imposed several noteworthy limits on the exemption established under the Budget Act. Most significantly, the FCC limited the number of federal debt collection calls to three calls within a 30-day period. It also allowed consumers to stop federal debt collection calls at any time. It limited pre-recorded messages to 60 seconds. And finally, the ruling allowed calls for only debts that are delinquent or at immediate risk of delinquency. Now, for a number of reasons, I think these exemptions for federal government callers and federal debt collection may represent the apex of industry-specific exemptions. The exemptions were very controversial when adopted, and the new FCC chairman seems to oppose any industry-specific exemptions at all. Chairman Pai has often expressed disagreement with the FCC acting to, quote, pick winners or losers in the TCPA context. Moreover, these rules stem from the Budget Act of 2015, which created a TCPA carve-out for federal debt collection calls. There are now efforts to try to undo that provision. Recently, Senator Ed Markey of Massachusetts and Senator Mike Lee of Utah introduced Bill S-564, the Help Americans Never Get Unwanted Phone Calls Act, or Hang Up Act, to revoke that exemption and undo the FCC's declaratory ruling for federal debt collection. 
Markey is opposed to the weakening of any consumer protections and had actually helped to write the TCPA bill when he served in the House back in 1991. Senator Lee has said the issue is about congressional entitlement, arguing that if businesses are not allowed to harass consumers with unwanted robocalls and texts, the government and its contractors should be held to the same standard. So one way or the other, this may be one of the last of a dying breed of TCPA orders. Now, Jenny, let's move on and talk about some of the recent robocall activity at the FCC. And there is certainly a lot to talk about. So at the FCC's open meeting on March 23rd, the commissioners voted to adopt a combined notice of proposed rulemaking and notice of inquiry to begin finding ways to allow service providers to block illegal, what they call, robocalls. The NPRM and NOI stem in part from the Robocall Strike Force, an industry-led group formed at the behest of former Chairman Wheeler, to address issues such as whether providers may block calls where the caller ID shows an unassigned number, and whether providers may block calls the provider has determined are illegal robocalls, as long as the provider takes reasonable steps to confirm that the calls are in fact illegal. The commission is primarily proposing to codify a clarification from its Consumer and Governmental Affairs Bureau released in September 2016 that said voice service providers may block calls using a spoofed caller ID number if the number subscriber requests that they do so. It also proposes rules authorizing providers to block three categories of numbers, invalid numbers, valid numbers that are not allocated to a voice service provider, and valid numbers that are allocated but not assigned to a service provider. The FCC also proposes to define a, quote, illegal robocall as one that violates the requirements of the TCPA or the related FCC regulations or the Federal Trade Commission's telemarketing sales rule, as well as any call made for the purpose of defrauding a consumer as prohibited under a variety of federal and state laws and regulations, including the Federal Truth and Caller ID Act. The commission largely seeks comment on whether its proposals are technically reasonable. Can providers adequately determine if a number is valid or not? Or are proposed definitions or criteria too specific or too generic to be effective? And what impact might these rules have on smaller providers? The FCC also proposes to not require a provider to obtain opt-in consent from subscribers for call blocking practices, concluding that no reasonable customer would want to receive these calls, and it proposes to exclude blocked calls from providers' call completion rates. In the notice of inquiry, the commission asks what objective standards can be used to identify, quote, illegal calls, and what methods providers can use, such as traceback efforts. The FCC also asks what industry standards could allow providers to block calls that don't meet such standards. The commission also asks for comment on adopting a safe harbor for providers blocking calls. It proposes that these practices will not be deemed a violation of the commission's rules or the Communications Act. Interestingly, the commission also asks how it can make the safe harbor specific enough without providing enough detail that makers of illegal robocalls could circumvent blocking efforts. In addition, the commission asks if it should create a, quote, whitelist of legitimate callers who may have a legitimate reason for spoofing a phone number or for making a high volume of calls, and what should be the rules and processes for a legitimate caller to notify providers that their calls are being blocked. You're right, there's certainly a lot in there, but in many instances, these actions were previewed by Chairman Pai in one of his first speeches as chairman and addressed to the FCC's Consumer Advisory Committee on January 27th. There, he challenged the CAC to take aggressive action in the TCPA and to consider how the agency can make it easier for consumers to report robocalls 
and make it easier for the Enforcement Bureau to take action. The proposals in the NPRM would establish the kinds of safe harbors that he was discussing back in January. More broadly, what we've seen is that in the first month or two of Chairman Pai's leadership, he's put pretty significant focus on the TCPA and on robocalling. So at this point, what I'd like to do is step back a little bit, revisit his dissent from 2015, in order to see what it might indicate where he might take the FCC in the future. First, I'll start with auto dialers. In the 2015 declaratory ruling, Chairman Pai made clear in his dissent that he believes that under the TCPA's definition of an automatic telephone dialing system, ATDS, or auto dialer, only equipment that has the capability to dial sequential numbers or random numbers qualifies. He clearly rejected the potential capacity argument and more fundamentally focused on the random and sequential number elements of the definition. In his dissent, he argued, quote, if a piece of equipment cannot do these two things, if it cannot store or produce telephone numbers to be called using a random or sequential number generator, and if it cannot dial such numbers, then how can it possibly meet the statutory definition? It cannot, end quote. It seems that if given a chance to reassess auto dialers, Chairman Pai would focus much more narrowly on equipment that was prominent in the early 1990s when the TCPA was passed, and he would be less inclined to apply the TCPA's restrictions to predictive dialers, which Chairman Pai appears to consider as more akin to speed dialers. Now, on reassigned numbers, Commissioner Pai was firmly in the intended recipient camp. Commissioner Pai noted that with the prevalence of reassignments today, even the most well-intentioned or well-informed business will sometimes call a number that's been reassigned to a new person. So Pai rejected the idea that the TCPA imposes strict liability for such calls. Now, more recently, Pai has called for the creation of a reassignment database to be supervised by the FCC. The details of such database have not been sketched out and the funding would have to be determined, but the purpose would be to provide the caller with an ability to identify before the call whether its consent remains valid. Thus, on both of the issues that are most likely to be remanded to the FCC, auto dialers and reassigned numbers, then Commissioner Pai, now Chairman Pai, has expressed his preferred approach. Time will tell exactly what the court remands to the FCC and what limitations might be imposed on that, but we have at least here an opportunity to see with a little bit of a preview of where we think the FCC might go in the next six months or so. And we'll certainly be watching for that. So shifting gears a little bit, we come to the fourth topic in our podcast, fax advertisements. I know that many consider faxes to be a bygone technology, harboring from the era of dial-up and brick phones, but faxes continue to reign in surprising areas. Thus, a subtext of TCPA cases involve faxes, and more precisely, the opt-out language on faxes. In October 2014, the FCC issued an order that determined that opt-out language was required on all fax advertisements, even those sent with the recipient's consent but ultimately granted a retroactive waiver of the commission's opt-out requirement to hundreds of entities, and they continue to do so. This order generated two different sets of petitioners on appeal who have challenged the decision on separate grounds. 
First, a group of plaintiffs whose junk facts and class action cases are currently pending in federal district courts appealed to the D.C. Circuit claiming that the FCC did not have the authority to issue the waiver of its rules on a retroactive basis. On the other side, a group of waiver recipients, many of which are the defendants in these cases, challenged the 2014 order claiming that because the TCPA only explicitly covers unsolicited fax advertisements, the FCC exceeded its authority when it sought to regulate the content of solicited fax ads. And therefore, the junk fax rules themselves are invalid. The court heard oral arguments in this case on November 8th, and we're awaiting their decision. So, Steve, can you give us a little bit of a sense of where you think they're going to come out on this? Certainly can. Now, in contrast to the ACA international case, the one on the declaratory ruling, the judges here were much harder to read in this argument. There were elements that both sides would be pleased with, however. For example, on the question of whether the opt-out language was required on all faxes, the judges questioned whether the FCC had any authority to regulate solicited faxes, that is, those faxes sent with consent. One judge tried in vain to test the theory that the opt-out language goes to the validity of the consent on the subsequent fax, but the judge did not seem happy with the responses that were provided. On the other hand, the judges had significant questions for both sides on the meaning and the validity of the FCC's retroactive waiver. It's possible that the court will sidestep this clearly more difficult question, particularly if it is able to address the initial question as to whether the opt-out language is required on faxes sent with consent. So again, we have to wait, but I'm expecting that when we get the order, we'll have another podcast, we'll go through what it means and what its implications are in the world of faxing. At this point though, I wanna turn now to our final topic, which are the petitions that have been filed in the last few months. Jenny, can you walk us through those? Absolutely. So I think there are two recent petitions that are of most interest. In the first petition, which was filed on January 22nd, there are two consumers seeking to reverse a couple of FCC rulings that the provision by a consumer of a telephone number to the caller constitutes prior express consent under the TCPA. The petitioners first challenged a 1992 order in which the commission determined that, quote, persons who knowingly release their phone numbers have, in effect, given their invitation or permission to be called at the number which they have given, absent instructions to the contrary, end quote. The petitioners then question a subsequent 2008 commission order, which concluded that, quote, the provision of a cell phone number to a creditor, such as part of a credit application, reasonably evidences prior express consent by the cell phone subscriber to be contacted at that number regarding the debt, end quote. The petitioners claim that the FCC contravened congressional intent when it adopted these two orders by improperly reading an implied consent provision into the TCPA. As such, they seek a declaratory ruling or rulemaking that would result in the following. One, overturning previous interpretations of the prior express consent provision, such that implied consent may be given in certain circumstances. And two, adoption of a uniform standard to satisfy the prior express consent requirement for both cellular and residential telephone numbers. Now, a second consumer-based TCPA petition was also filed in January, but was subsequently withdrawn. In that petition, a consumer plaintiff in a recently dismissed TCPA action in court was seeking clarification of the proper application of the FCC's prior express consent and revocation of consent rules, specifically with regard to calls from common carriers. 
The petitioner was a T-Mobile subscriber who alleged that T-Mobile violated the TCPA by sending him multiple promotional text messages about T-Mobile products, despite numerous requests by the petitioner to stop sending them. The petitioner sued, but the case was referred for arbitration pursuant to the binding arbitration clause in the petitioner's service agreement with T-Mobile. According to the petition, the arbitrator in the case was persuaded that as a result of the FCC's longstanding policy that wireless service providers are not required to obtain additional consent from their subscribers prior to initiating pre-recorded or auto-dialed calls for which the subscriber is not charged, the commission's rules regarding revocation of consent do not apply to T-Mobile with respect to calls and messages sent to subscribers. The petitioner was seeking the following relief. One, a ruling that a cellular telephone customer can revoke consent to receive text messages from his or her service provider. Two, a ruling that a cellular or common carrier is not exempt from the TCPA. And three, a ruling that clarifies the prior express consent exception for wireless service providers. The petition also requested additional relief specific to its dispute with T-Mobile. The FCC had begun a comment cycle on this petition, but the petitioner and T-Mobile filed a joint motion to withdraw it on the ground that the petitioner had filed a motion for reconsideration with the arbitrator and that pending the outcome of that motion, the parties had resolved their dispute. Now, these petitions stand out for two reasons. First, they were filed by consumer plaintiffs in TCPA cases, which is somewhat unusual. And second, the FCC had sought comment on these petitions almost immediately, which shows that they are paying attention to them. If granted, the relief sought in one or both of these petitions could impact a wide variety of businesses that relied upon the current FCC interpretations that are challenged. In fact, Jenny, I think the prior express consent petition is particularly far-reaching. The interpretation that the petitioners challenged there has been settled law for 25 years, since 1992. If the FCC were to reverse course at this point, a significant number of consents that had been obtained would become uncertain. This would disrupt many call campaigns if it were to apply immediately and would require the collection of new consents even if the requirement were phased in after some transition period. Now, we're a long way from resolution of either one of these petitions, I think. But as the declaratory ruling from 2015 showed, it's critically important to generate a good record before the agency. We never can tell exactly when the FCC might act, and participation before the FCC is a prerequisite to participation in the appeals. So I encourage any listeners to review this petition carefully and to comment if it would affect you. Well, I think that's all the time we have for today. We certainly did cover a lot in a short amount of time. So thanks to all for listening to this edition of the Full Spectrum Podcast. We'll be back for another update as the appeals are decided and Chairman Pai has his opportunity to put his stamp on TCPA interpretations. Stay tuned. The views and ideas expressed on this program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views or ideas held by Kelly Dry and Warren LLP, its staff, or management.